Today we're in relationship rehab. I want to start with some good disclosures. I'm not a relationship specialist. There are many of you here many of you here that uh, have much more wisdom in this area, but I am feeling a little feisty today, so I'm going to preach mostly the word, and I'll have some opinion, so don't leave the church over it, all right? Amen. And I'm making very general statements, and there's very specific issues, so uh, just as they would say, uh, chew the meat, spit out the bones, okay? Amen. You know the sermon's going to be terrible. We start off like that. Uh, let's go. Father, we thank you today for your Holy Spirit. We uh, receive your word today, and we know that it will bring forth much fruit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You could be seated today. Um, today, I want to talk from this subject, don't settle. Say it with me, don't settle. Over the next few weeks, I encourage you to join a life group. Um, we're going to be talking from the passage of Genesis chapter 24. It's helped me immensely in uh, finding a wife, in relationship, and how the Holy Spirit works in allowing us to enter into relationship. So I want to encourage you to read that, get a part of a life group to discuss it. But Genesis chapter 24 uh, speaks of Abraham sending out his servant to go find his son a wife. And there's some things and details and revelation in there that we're going to talk to you over the next uh, few weeks. But today, don't settle. Relationships are based off of how we relate, which seems to change a lot over time. Because how you relate it in one season of your life may not be the same way you relate in the next season of your life. Relationships, friendships, partnerships, marriage, co-workers, all these roles are so different. And yet what we're trying to do as humans is find ways to relate one with another. I could almost guarantee, not totally guarantee, but almost guarantee that one of the biggest problems you are facing uh, in this season of your life is connected to a person. Can I get a witness? <laughs> no, no clapping, no clapping, especially if they're here. Um, and I can almost guarantee that all of the solution that you're looking for is also connected to a person. You can't live with them, and you can't live without them. Uh, it's interesting because as life evolves, it seems as human intellect evolves, and we're all smarter and have more informed information about mental health and relationships and things of that nature. So we're all becoming well informed. But what's interesting to me is the better our philosophies get about relationships hasn't necessarily equaled the quality of our relationships. In fact, people keep getting smarter, but their relationships keep getting worse. And some so there's some like old school principles that still work today. Um, in fact, someone said, if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Because there's nothing new that's under the sun. I was speaking with this, uh, this uh, 93-year-old church mother. And I was asking her about relationships and what she thought, you know, about how we operate in this generation. And she had a lot to say. One of the things she said is like, uh, specifically to the young ladies. I'm not saying this. She said this. Call her if you want to. Um, but she said, you know, it's a Barbie generation. And Barbie thinks Ken was made for her. 
But the Bible doesn't say Ken was made for her. She was made for the man to serve him and to love him and to cherish him. All right, ladies and gentlemen, God bless you. Uh, thank you for being here today. <clears throat> she, and she started, started pouring, pouring into things. And I was like, you can't say that. You'll get counseled. But she, she had, she had, I'll give you one more. She said, I didn't say this in the first service. This is a bonus. But she would have definitely got, she said, uh, you need to be a secure enough woman that if your man sees some hips and thighs he likes, that he comes home and tells you so it doesn't run around in his head and let, and let the devil lie to him. That was her advice. I haven't tried it, and I'm not going to, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, sweet old lady. Uh, okay. <laughs> Three places that today I want to talk about not settling uh, in relationships. Genesis chapter 24, 3 through 4 is, says this. I want you to swear by the Lord, this is Abraham talking to his servant, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among who I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. It goes on and he says, um, what if that wife doesn't want to come back, but she wants to settle there? And he says, then I break my oath. I'd rather my son stay single than to go back there. And the first place I don't want to encourage you not to settle is don't settle in past comforts. Don't settle in past comforts. Some people would rather be in toxic relationship than the fear of being alone and being healthy. But I would rather be healthy alone than in a toxic relationship. I'll date myself. I'll compliment myself. I'll buy myself flowers. But I'm not going to go and settle with what's comfortable. Some people, they would rather go back and settle in toxic relationship rather than be in healthy singleness. I encourage you. Don't go back. Don't drop your values. Because the same values you have when you're single get amplified when you're married. And if you're not faithful to your values while you're single, you won't be faithful to your values when you're married. And so before you get a spouse, get some values. And the Bible even talked about that uh, God gave Adam a job before he gave him a wife. Before you get a wife, get a job. Let the dad say amen. <laughs> Don't go back and settle in the comfort of the past. Don't, in your relationship, in your marriage, don't get too comfortable and don't settle for comfort in your relationship. It's an interesting thing to me uh, when somebody gets into a breakup or a divorce and you look at their before and after Instagram. They're at the gym all of a sudden. They haven't been at the gym since 1989. And now they're at the gym. They haven't done a cute post in a while, now they're doing this kind of post. Brother hasn't been able to take his shirt off in 10 years. Somehow he got a six-pack in six months, starving himself. Don't, just because... You're married doesn't mean you should settle and lose your spice. Don't just put on the moo-moo, put on some lingerie. Oh, that's too far for church. That's too far for church. 
get that bag of chips off your belly and get up and dance with your wife. Don't, don't settle in your relationship. It, it, it's, it's amazing because we're in this pursuit and impress mode, but we get married and we, and we don't honor each other as special gifts, but we become over-familiar with one another. Walking around the house belching. How am I going to kiss those lips? You know what I'm saying? Can I get a witness right there? Don't get comfortable. You know, when we get too comfortable, the, the person that God has designed us to be a partner with, we become an enemy of because we let our children become our, our new friend. And we start letting children divide our home because we join the team of our children rather than the team of our spouse. Well, at least uh, uh, Rebecca, uh, Abraham, and, and uh, Sarah did because uh, you know what happened? Um, when they had, he favored Esau, she favored Jacob, and Jacob was a deceiving, lying little brat. And I know your kid's the cutest thing in the world, but he's got a little bit of Jacob in him too. And, um, and she helped and enabled him to deceive and lie and be a little brat. And it caused division between them. As hard as it is, our kids act out when we're not together. And we're designed to be a team. We are not designed to run the same play and agree with everything. But we got to contend to be a team and to honor one another. The Bible says in Mark 6, let me just go one step further. Uh, if you're co-parenting, you still got to be a team. You got to quit fighting. You, you guys broke up so you don't fight no more, okay? So be a team. Mark 6, 4 through 5, Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and in his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I want to see the miraculous in your relationship. And the miraculous comes on the wings of honor. And we have to learn to honor one another. Pray for your relationships. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your children. Pray for your friends. Pray for your coworkers. And pray for your enemies. And pray for those who used you and talked about you. And bless those who curse you. Learn to pray over the relationships that God has trusted you with. And don't settle in past comforts. Number two, don't settle in toxic patterns. When it comes to Isaac's father, Abraham, in Genesis 12, 10 through 13, it says, now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say, you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. He said, you're so beautiful that they're going to want to kill me. So instead of calling you my wife out of fear, I'm going to call you my sister so they don't kill me. In Genesis 26, Abraham has this son named Isaac, and this is what it says. So Isaac stayed in Gerar, and when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. 
he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she's beautiful. It's interesting because Abraham, he's scared, so he lies about his wife. And then he has a son named Isaac who chapters later repeats what he saw in his father. And he lies about his wife and says, and says that it was his sister. I want to ask you a question. Maybe the problem you have is not a problem. Maybe it's a pattern. And maybe we've adopted family values that helped our family survive in the last season, but will not allow us to thrive in the next season. And maybe our family of origin has put some good values in us, but has also put some other things in us that aren't as good as we thought they were. They helped us get through, but, but we ended up not with just problems, but patterns. For example, um, I used to think it was normal to yell because in my, my house growing up, everybody was yelling at everybody all the time. That's why I'm yelling right now because it seems normal. Every once in a while, they would punch some walls and kick some fridges and throw some shoes at each other. So I thought aggression was just our way of conflict. And so when I yell at people, they're like, what is wrong with you? But that's my normal. Some of you have some normal things that aren't normal. I didn't know that punching walls and cussing people out was actually abuse. Because if I labeled it abuse, I would have to become vulnerable and feel like a victim. So I labeled it normal so I could live in chaos. And it developed in me not a problem, but a pattern. And some of you keep trying to fix problems, but you don't have a problem. You have a pattern. I lost my, uh, my AirPod earphones six months ago. And I was in the car this week and my, uh, with a friend, and my AirPods, my new ones, fell out. And I went under the seat to grab the old ones. And I found the AirPods that I lost six months ago and the AirPods that I lost right then. And I realized... I don't have a problem losing AirPods. I have a pattern losing AirPods. I have a pattern losing keys. I have a pattern losing my socks. I, have, I don't have a problem of losing things. I have a pattern of losing things. And some of you don't have a debt problem. You have a, uh, a borrowing pattern. You don't have a... A, a, a fighting problem, you have a fighting pattern. My, when my wife and I, we talk to couples, they come to us to present their problem. But I step back and I look at their pattern. Every 90 days, they're about to have a blow up. And then in between, we're doing fine. God loves us. We're just serving together. God's doing miracles in our marriage. But in 90 days, woo, they want to quit everything they're doing. We all have patterns. My wife and I, were twice a year. Boom. Explodes twice a year. It's not a problem, it's a pattern. Come on, y'all looking at me. You got a pattern too. Twice a year is pretty good. It's not every 90 days, is it? We all have patterns. But if you start thinking about those patterns in your family of origin and these value systems that have clashed, you start thinking, what are the things and the traits that I'm repeating from the last generation? Genesis 24, 67 says this, Isaac, speaking of Rebekah, brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah. 
and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Isaac was comforted by his wife after his mother's death. I want to say something. No man wants to be mothered by his wife. I just needed some man help right here. Thank you. Uh, let me out here by myself. Wink at me twice if you feel scared right now. No man wants to be disciplined. What time you going to be home? Uh, pick up your shoes. All this, no man wants to be mothered by their wife or smothered by their wife. That's what the, the, the scripture says, be the desire of the woman to control the man. I know you want me to preach the Bible until I start preaching it. Then, then you'd rather stand up for your rights rather than read the Bible. But y'all come to church next week, it's going to be better, okay. Um, no man wants to be mothered by his wife. And I know what you women are thinking. You're thinking, well, he should act, quit acting like a kid then. And I don't want to have to mother him. But if he'd do what he needs to do and pick up his chonies and put them in the hamper, then I wouldn't. I hear you. I hear you. But no man wants to be mothered by his wife. No man wants to be mothered by his wife. But most men look for their mother and their wife. They don't want to be mothered in that they don't want to be disciplined but they want to be mothered in that they crave the nurture of a woman. And when his mother dies, his wife begins to minister to the void in his heart. Because when you mother correctly, you make Clark Kent feel like Superman. I don't know if anyone had a mother like this, but you thought you could fly off a roof because your mother made you feel like you could fly off a roof. You thought you could always run to mom because she would know how to hold you and care for you and, and believe in you. She could turn Bruce into Batman. She could turn Peter into Spider-Man. And then you get married and the woman says, I'm not your mother. And you brought out the Incredible Hawk instead of Superman. <laughs> he turned green all of a sudden. <laughs> he, he turned green. Because he doesn't want you to mother him, but he needs your ministry and he needs your nurture because every kid has a king in them and every king has a kid. And if you tear down the king, you end up with the kid. And if you build up the kid, you end up with the king. If you learn to minister, you'll bring out the best in him. That's why it's so important for all you single people to learn to minister to the Lord. Because it's practice to minister to your husband. And I know some people that maybe you're wounded in your heart and this is not feeling very well. But I want you to learn as you minister to the Lord, he ministers to you. And it's preparing the ministry in you. I remember uh, my, my grandma passed away who was such, such a, a voice of affirmation in my life. And I don't know why, but this was a few years ago. But I, I went in the middle of the night to a room to weep and to cry. And I don't know why this is, but men hide their tears. And they hide their pain. And somehow, even in the silence of my tears, uh, my wife, she began to minister to me. And it doesn't mean I didn't go through grief, and it doesn't mean I didn't miss my grandma, but the next day I decided everything's going to be okay. 
because there was a void in my heart. There was a void in Isaac's heart where his wife became the ministry in the darkest season of his life. Be the ministry, not the misery of his life. And no woman wants to be fathered by her husband. I was trying to go the other way, but if y'all don't want to say amen, I'll go back. <laughs> she needs you to be safe enough for her to share and you listen without trying to fix it. You need to be, the Bible gave the man authority to subdue the land. You need to have a, an unanxious presence that knows how to subdue the land. And so when she's having a stressful day, your presence brings safety to the atmosphere. You know how to subdue her with your voice. <laughs> Bring her in. Everything's going to be all right. You know, in, in Job chapter 2, this, this what, what, before I go there, the Bible says in Proverbs 31, the heart of her husband safely trusts, so he will have no lack of value. His heart is trusted with her. And your heart is trusted with him when he is a safe place to be trusted. Job 2, 8 through 9 says, Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself, going through the hardest time of his life, with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And, and what I was thinking about is often men have this relational problem. We don't do intimacy well at times, and we withdraw, and we shut down, and all of these different things, and we find ways to be toxic. And, and, the, and, and then we want to step into leadership all of a sudden, and we think leadership is being more aggressive or loud or controlling. No, that's, that's not leadership. That's Jezebel. And, and Jezebel can be a man too, Okay trying to control and manipulate, and I'm the leader of this house. If you ever say this, and the Bible says, that means you're not the leader of the house. If you have to quote verses to tell her how you're the leader, that means you're not the leader, just to, just to let you know. <clears throat> and so Job, Job said, he said, um, she said, curse God and die. And I just feel like when, when men don't take their leadership seriously, this is what ends up happening. You know, past, you know uh, Pastor, my wife, she just doesn't want to come to church anymore. You preached that message on relationship rehab. It triggered her like we can't go there anymore. And so I don't want to cause any trouble at my house because I don't know how to deal with conflict without exploding. So I'd rather please her than lead her. And, and they, I should be doing this at a men's conference, huh? Because the women looking at me like, what? Okay. <laughs> and if she's like, hey, uh, uh, yeah, I just don't feel like we're in a season we should tithe. And, and cool, you don't tithe, but I'm going to tithe off my income. If, if I got mad at y'all and didn't come to church, my wife, I guarantee you, still coming to church. And if my wife's like, hey, uh, I'm not into the church thing anymore. I'll be like, cool, prepare the Super Bowl for me because as soon as I'm done preaching, I'll be home to watch the Niners win like I predicted last week. Anyway, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
I don't need you to affirm my faith. I'm going to keep doing what I'm called to do and being who I'm called to be. And it doesn't mean I love you less. I just have an assignment on my life. And I'd rather be obedient to God than to man. But I don't want to deal with the conflict. I'd rather cause peace in my home. That's not peace. That's passivity. You just don't have the internal wherewithal to deal with conflict without getting triggered. The Bible says to the wife, for her spouse that is an unbeliever, keep on serving the Lord. And if you keep on showing in your character, maybe he'll serve the Lord. He's not going to serve the Lord because you tell him to serve the Lord. He's going to serve the Lord because he sees you faithful serving the Lord regardless of what he does. Don't settle in toxic patterns. Don't settle for how you learned relationship. Maybe there's some great values, but you're in a different season, and maybe you should ask God for divine wisdom because nobody's married to the person you're married to. I could give you advice, but, uh, but I'm crazy, number one. Number one, let's start there. And my wife's perfect, so how would that work for Everyone's unique and special, and your relationship has all had its own private, specific issues. And more than me telling you how to do relationship, you know what you need? You need the word of God, and you need the heart of the king, and you need the wisdom of heaven to show you how to be the husband you are called to be, show you how to be the wife you're called to be, show you how to be the human that you're called to be. I said all that to say this. You want to break toxic patterns, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. I may have gave you some, a principle today, and you're like, I'm going home to do that principle today. No, no, no. Don't try this without the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, this is called uh, toxic masculinity. <laughs> With the Holy Spirit, it's called care and love. You need the Holy Spirit. Don't settle in toxic patterns. I'll, I'll close with this. i got one minute left. Number three, don't settle in past relational pain. In Genesis chapter 11, this speaks to the father of Abraham, Terah. And it speaks and says, this is the account of Terah's family line. And it goes to the, the family line and it mentions his son, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And while his father, Terah, was still alive, the Bible says, Haran died in the year of Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Verse 30, now Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive and Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, his son Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai and the wife and the son of Abram and together they set out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there and Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Now, as we read that scripture, we read it from an objective standpoint, but I want you to read it from more of a human standpoint. Abraham's father had these sons, and one was named Haran. And the Bible says, Haran died. Now, some of you might know well the loss of a child, but it is the pain that no human should ever have to experience where a parent is burying their own child. That is not a pain that you get over. That is not a pain that you just walk through. And, and, 
and it mentions it so lightly, but I'm trying to imagine the details of Tara's life of what it meant to lose his son. And the Bible says that they all went on the journey, including his grandson and his kids. And as they were going, they come to this place named Haran. The same name of the city is the same name of his son. And when he gets to the place, I'm imagining that he's pretty triggered and he's remembering the loss of his son and he's remembering when he held his son in his arms and he's remembering all the dreams and ambitions that he had for his son and he's remembering what could have been if this didn't happen or if this happened that way. And when he gets to the city, the Bible says instead of him continuing on the journey that he settled in Haran and he died there. Interesting question for you today is what hurt you so bad that you ended up settling there because you couldn't move forward from what hurt the most? Now, some of us, we live in 2024, but our emotions are stuck in 1989 because there was a journey set out before us, but we settled in what hurt us the most. We settled in the pain of the last. We settled in the divorce. We settled in the loss. We settled in the widowhood. We settled in pain. We settled in sorrow. You got to grieve it. You got to go through it. I just want to encourage you, as long as you have breath, don't settle in what hurts you the most. What's the one thing in your life that changed everything? And even now, you may even be in a relationship, but you're still blocked because you're still in the past relationship. Even now, in this church, maybe you were hurt in a, a faith-based organization, or maybe you were hurt at last church, and you're just like, I can't, I can't serve. I don't want to get involved. I want to take it slow. And you keep blaming God for hearing his voice and all that stuff. That's, a, that's an amazing thing offended people do. And, and, and maybe it's not that you're waiting for God but maybe it's your settling in the place that you got offended in the last season. Maybe you're settling in the place where you were hurt and abused in your relationship and now you don't even have faith towards good men because of the bad men that treated you badly. He came to Haran and the Bible says he settled there and he died. Can I encourage you today? Do not settle in past relational pain. It may have been a loss, but it's also a lesson. So God, give me the lesson. Let me get the strength to get back up and give me the grace to continue the journey. To love people like I've never been hurt. <laughs> to look like, to not look like what I've been through, but to look like where I'm going. Don't let the smile fool you. I've been through hell, but I smile like heaven. Woo, yeah. I lift my hands not because I haven't had defeat, but because I still believe that my God is victorious and reigns over all. There is a hope. Those that sow in tears, they continually move forward. How are you doing? I'm just moving forward. I'm not getting over anything, but I'm getting through everything. Yea, though I walk through the valley, not around it, not beside it, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table 
before me in the presence of my enemy, which means you're giving front row seats to the people who want to see me fall, to, to succeed me even in the presence of my enemy. And I'm willing to go through it. I'm willing to not settle in the place of my fear or in the place of my pain. I'm not telling you to avoid it. I'm not telling you to masquerade it. I'm not telling you to escape it. I'm telling you to acknowledge it, accept it, and stand on the grace of God that this is not where my life ends. This is not the end of my story.